this high-speed train, destination metaverse, we don't really know when we get there and we don't even know the stops, but that's where we're heading. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking to the godmother of the metaverse, Kathy Hackle. She's CEO of the Futures Intelligence Group, a VR evangelist, and one of the top technology voices on LinkedIn, and a go-to for leaders looking to navigate the nascent Web 3.0 industry. Now, you probably know that I'm a lover of all things to do with spatial computing and AI, so I'm really excited to hear how Cathy sees the not-so-distant future of virtual spaces and to talk in depth about the metaverse. So welcome to the show, Cathy. How and where in the physical world are you today? So I just got back from Paris, but I am in Washington, D.C. now. We're so excited to welcome you on the podcast. But before we do, I'd love to ask you a series of quick fire questions to get us warmed up. Don't overthink it. What is a phrase you live by? In the metaverse, we are all world builders. And now is your time to build. What does the word futurist mean to you? Opportunity. Best advice you've ever received. If you can see it, you can be it. What makes you feel like you belong? Community. Finished this sentence. The future is? For everyone. I wanted to start with your brilliant pseudonym, the godmother of the metaverse. And it is clear just by looking at your client resume, which includes Adobe, Microsoft, Amazon, and indeed Meta, that you're the person to speak to about the future of the internet. So I'd love to know how you actually define the word metaverse and what excites you about the space. Yeah, so I will tell you a little bit before we define it, how I got the name, because I think it's really special. So Andrew Schwartz from Nike's Metaverse team actually gave me that name. And I wear it like a badge of honor. The community started to use it. I'm always godmothering behind the scenes and doing my duty as the godmother. But yeah, I mean, defining the metaverse, I think we can all agree that there is no standard agreed upon definition now. And one thing I do almost every morning when I have my coffee is I go to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary online and I type the word metaverse in. And last time I checked, it says this word is not in the dictionary. I think it's important to raise that because it's so nascent. There's no agreed upon definition. So my definition might not be the same as yours or as someone else listening. So I think that that's part of the fact that it's so nascent and we're building it. So, you know, how do I define it? Well, This is what I do. I usually take people through a journey and I say, okay, where were we? Where are we heading? What is the metaverse? So Web 1.0 connected information that gave us the internet. That changed a lot of things, of course. Web 2.0 connected people. And that didn't only give us social media, but it gave us the sharing economy and gave us e-commerce and gave us many different things that have obviously changed a lot about the way we socialize and work and do business right now. And then we're in the evolution of Web 2.0 going into Web 3.0 which in essence connects people, places, and things, or people, spaces, and assets. And sometimes these people, spaces, and assets can be in a virtual world, in a virtual space, but they will also be in the physical world. So that actually leads into how I view the metaverse and this idea and concept of the metaverse. For me, I have a pretty expansive view. The metaverse does include virtual spaces and virtual worlds, 
but it also includes the physical world, which I think is really important. Some people tend to only focus on virtual spaces. For me, it's very expansive. It includes both. It's a convergence of our physical and digital lives, eventually becoming a little bit seamless. It is about shared virtual experiences that are persistent, that are machine readable, that can happen in these virtual spaces or in the physical world. It is enabled by many different technologies. I think a lot of people tend to focus very much on some of the entry points like AR and VR, but those are not the only technologies. For me, it's enabled by AR and VR, blockchain, obviously, which is a huge component of Web3, AI, robotics, 5G, edge computing, many different things. Another thing I think is important is to say like the metaverse as that greater vision is not here yet. We're building it. And I think you can agree. It's not like we're going to wake up one day and be like, the metaverse has arrived. We're here. It's going to be a progression. We're building towards that greater convergence of physical and digital and these shared virtual experiences. And this is an analogy that I heard someone else um, say, and I keep using it. It's like, we're on this high-speed train, destination metaverse. We don't really know when we get there, and we don't even know the stops, but that's where we're heading. So in essence, I mean, the, the metaverse is, to me, that greater vision, that successor state of today's mobile internet. It, it Just like The different technologies in the past have impacted the way we work, socialize, shop, play, everything. Where we're heading in the metaverse will as well. I'm very excited. I'm very protopian about it. Yeah, and I think we're building it now. And having this conversation with you is part of building that future. Yeah, and that is so exciting. And I want to pick up just on what you were saying in terms of how it's going to shape so many aspects of our lives, especially the way that we play. And a lot of the metaverse conversation today has been centered around gaming. And so I'm interested in how much we're currently using the metaverse in the way that we interact with each other and how much that's actually shaping the growth today. Yeah, so to me, gaming, and and this is something I heard my friend Kelly Vero said, is that gaming is the parent of the metaverse. Like for me, gaming is the on-ramp. You cannot have the metaverse without gaming, game engines, like all the infrastructure that you need to build to create the metaverse. Some of it comes from gaming and from game engines. You almost have to take a lens, like almost like an anthropological lens in, in this case, because for millennia, work for humans has been hard. Even for our grandparents, it was physically hard. Like you did something, it was physically hard, exhausting. As we have evolved with Web 1.0, Web 2, and Web 3, there's a lot of us that are knowledge workers. And yeah, it is hard, but you know, I'm not lifting boxes. I'm not doing those sorts of things, right? So you could even say that work has evolved from being a physical labor, hard task for our bodies to something that's more mentally, let's say, exhausting. But with the metaverse and things that are starting to see in that space and, and training and the way training is getting gamified, it's almost like we're starting to gamify work and work could become more enjoyable. And I think from an anthropological standpoint, like that is a sea change. That is a seismic shift. What if we all really loved our jobs, right? I think we're still going to need the physical side. We're still going to need people to move boxes and, and do those physical things. And But I do think that there is a, a bit of a societal change happening here. Even when you look at some of the things that are happening in the metaverse, in some of the metaverse platforms that are tied to blockchain, and there's something called play to earn, like there are people playing video games and making a living. So that's obviously the other side of the spectrum. But I think anthropologically, like things are evolving and changing in a very interesting way. So gaming to me is the on-ramp to the metaverse. It is part of how we enter these spaces. And especially the younger generations, like the Gen Z's and Gen Alpha's, 
that's where they are. They're socializing in gaming platforms. They're very comfortable in those spaces. And the way they show up in these gaming platforms, in these gaming experiences, to them is equally as important as the way they show up at school every day. So once again, it's that seamlessness between virtual and, and, and physical converging. We're not quite there yet, but there are signals along the way that show us that that's kind of where we're heading. Yeah, and I certainly see that with my own children and especially my youngest and how socializing through gaming is such an important part of his identity, who he is and what he enjoys doing from a, a choice perspective. But, but you're also talking about work and the changing way that work is evolving. And actually, there's a lot of people on the call that will be listening today who are founders of businesses or C-suite business leaders. And they're looking to know how they can future-proof their businesses, their brands. And your next book is all about the business opportunities of the metaverse. So I'd love to know, say, three things that you'd recommend that they do to get started. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the book is called Navigating the Metaverse, Your Guide to Limitless Possibilities in the Web 3.0 World. This is really important. I think there's no one-size-fits-all strategy for the metaverse for everyone. Like, I think every company and every brand, I work with many different companies, many different brands, started to work with governments as well, thinking about the metaverse and the implications for that. And what I'm finding is that there's no size-fits-all. Everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different. But what I would say is, first of all, education, I think understanding Beyond debating definitions, which can take us hours and days and whatever, but beyond that, truly trying to understand what is behind the metaverse, what are these technologies that enable it, what is the role of, of humanity in this change that is happening. So educating yourself and trying to really understand the enabling technologies, the change that is happening, even internally within your company. How do you provide education to your executives and to your teams to level up and kind of be knowledgeable of this shift that's happening. So I think educating yourself as an executive, educating your teams, I think that's number one. It always starts with education, right? Education is power. The more information you have in knowledge, the better. Then the second one I would say is being focused. And if you are a brand or a company that needs a strategy, is taking the time to create a holistic metaverse strategy. And what I mean by this is that I've seen a lot of different companies and brands do marketing activations. They went and did something. Their marketing teams are now happy. <laughs> they were chomping at the bit. We need to do something in metaverse, whatever that is. And they did something. Now they got the PR pop. Okay, they did it. A lot of the companies I'm working with and that come to me are the ones that actually have done that. And now are like, okay, we did it. But what does it really mean? So they start to take the time to create a holistic metaverse strategy that lays out a phased approach with pilots, with clear OKRs, what are we trying to test? What are the assumptions we're trying to test all along the way? There has to be a rhyme or reason. There has to be things that you're trying to test. And there's people like, what's the ROI? Well, the ROI is very nascent. It's not like you're going to say, okay, this is the amount of dollars we need to kind of hit because it's very new. But there are ways to create OKRs within what you're trying to do. So having a clear, holistic metaverse Web3 strategy that allows your brand to test assumptions to sometimes fail which I think is really important because not everything's going to succeed. But I think it's important for companies to have that now because companies can still do things and test assumptions and still fail and they will still get, quote unquote, a pass. In a year and a half or two, if you're a big brand, I'm not sure you're going to get a pass. So that I would say number two is that. And then number three is understanding that with the future of the Internet that we're heading into, you are going to have to change maybe some processes internally. You're going to have to hire 
differently. Sometimes the youngest person in the room might be the smartest person. And that's really hard, I think, for C-level especially to be like, oh, why am I going to listen to this kid? Well, this kid is actually living in the metaverse or participating more so than you are. So one of the really cool things I've been doing also is like when I do some of the meetings with CEOs around the world, sometimes I'll bring a Nintendo Switch and I'll be like, this is a safe space. If you've never played this game or this other game, you can fail here. It's a safe space. Play it. Because once they get in there and they play it and they feel comfortable, they're like something lights up and they're like, I get how this works and how this happens. Something that they're not going to do at home because they're not going to ask their teenager to give them their switch or, you know. So that always goes back to education. But understanding how your teams are changing, how your company's changing, you're going to have to start looking at who to hire and you're going to hire differently. And the people that you are hiring, the Gen Z especially that's coming into the workforce in full force right now, they're going to expect the companies that hire them to be innovative in the way they train them, they retain them, they recruit them. So understanding that there are certain processes internally that are probably going to change and that who you hire is probably going to change as well. And if there is a war for talent now, wait till this keeps accelerating. I mean, there's only so many Solidity developers. There's only so many people that know how to develop in Roblox or something. So so I think it's going to be really interesting. So I would say those three things. Education, definitely. Taking the time to create a holistic strategy. And then looking internally and analyzing what are things that might change for my company. And yeah, sometimes realizing that the smartest person might be the youngest person in the room. Yeah, I agree with that. And the thing that I would layer on top of that is also that Over the last couple of years in particular, we've seen this real shift to remote online working. And it was interesting because in episode three of this series, we heard from Anand Agrawala, the CEO and founder of Spatial, about some of the exciting online spaces that are developing for hologram offices. What do you think is the metaverse's potential for promoting community within remote teams? Yeah, I mean, it's powerful. It's very powerful. And I'll give you an example. So I used to work at Magic Leap. I was their enterprise strategist for about two years. And for those that don't know, Magic Leap, Magic Leap makes spatial computing glasses, or I'm going to level it down, augmented reality glasses, but they're spatial computing. And our chief futurist was Neil Stevenson, the person that coined the term metaverse. But when I was there, when the pandemic hit at the beginning, and we were all kind of dispersed and distributed, we would hold our sales and marketing meetings in spatial, we're in the Magic Leap. And this is like, Mind you, two and a half years ago. That was, to me, a really wonderful experience. We're all testing it together. We're all learning. We started to get used to it. And then we would, like, solve for problems together. Like, oh, I can't pull the Excel sheet into spatial. Like, we would all learn to do things together. And there was a sense of community. I still, to this day, if I were going to remember meetings, those are the meetings I'm going to remember. Because they were very, just brought everyone around the campfire in a totally different way. But I do think that there is this power to create community within those teams, I will say one of the things I'm really excited about in, in 2022 and as, as we move forward are the advancements in volumetric video, in live volumetric video or holoportation and how that's going to change. I know Cisco's doing some really interesting things. I do a lot of hologram production, volumetric video production at one of the Microsoft studios. So really interested in seeing how that you know evolves and changes when you actually have someone live in your living room, that you're having that direct conversation in real time. I think that's very powerful, especially from a business perspective. And this is something really interesting, that conversation I had with a branch from the armed forces. They were like, well, we don't like the cartoony avatars. I said, yeah, I agree. I think there's going to be a context for everything. Sometimes we are going to want to show up as our cartoony avatars or even as unicorns or whatever it is that you want to be that day. But if it is, let's say in this case, the armed forces and it's a general giving some type of meeting, a volumetric version of him a holoportation version of him is probably the most appropriate way to go. 
So I think that our identities as well are going to ebb and flow. But I do think that live volumetric video, holoportation are going to be very important beyond Princess Leia, because that's what everyone mentions. But imagine that, like if you're going to have a meeting with the ambassador or whatever, I don't necessarily want to meet with him in avatar form. I want to see him in volumetric video if it's that type of meeting. If I'm meeting with one of my clients to think about ideation on a campaign or something very creative, yeah, then we might come in as more cartoony avatars. So I think the way we represent ourselves and the way we show up with our community and our coworkers will change and will be dependent on what the situation is that we're trying to communicate around. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think it also goes back to your earlier point around you need to be educating yourself. So you actually need to be trying things out. So one of the things that I'm doing every week with my own leadership team is we meet in Horizon Workrooms. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time we did it, one of my colleagues showed up with with some earrings in and we're like, and we, we've all not seen each other for two years. And like, do you have earrings? It's like, no, but I always wanted to. If you're meeting the ambassador, you might take the earrings out. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like your mom saying to you, like, how do you dress properly for the relevant experience that you're in? Well, that's new jobs. We're going to have hologram stylists. We're going to have avatar stylists. Love right? that. What a great job that is. So we're talking culture and identity in many ways. And it is already shaping the metaverse that we're creating. So we're seeing virtual concerts in Roblox. We've seen weddings taking place in Animal Crossing. So I'm interested in how you're encouraging companies to build an inclusive, diverse 3.0 internet. And how does coding into these experiences differ from doing it in the real world? Do you think it goes beyond hiring people from these backgrounds? I think so. I think I'm a woman of color. I'm a Latina. One of my missions is to make sure that more people, more women, more BIPOC, more LBGTQ, whatever, anyone that is a minority I want everyone to feel welcome to build this future. I have a phrase that a lot of people know I say, and it's like, in the metaverse, we are all world builders, and now is your time to build. Now is the time for everyone to build. Everyone is welcome to build this future. This is your moment. If you want to transition into a career, into metaverse and Web3, now is the time to do it, because let's face it, very few people are going to have years of experience. (laughs) So I think there's huge opportunities there for education and allow more people to enter the space. So yeah, I, I think from a company perspective is looking at, Who's a crypto native or who really gets this? There might be teams within your organization that have been developing an AR and VR for years and might have never gotten their due respect, or, you know, the respect that we're due or like they were just in the innovation team set aside over here. They, to me, are leaders now. Like they understand thinking spatially and thinking in 3D. They get this. So I think thinking about those things, making sure that when you are recruiting, that you're making an effort to find some of these amazing people. I think that there is something very human in some ways about the fact that in Web 3.0, like as we head into the future, we're probably going to be distributed in some ways. And and I bring this up. I had this conversation the other day and I said, for a long time, innovation has come from Silicon Valley. I go to the Silicon Valley a lot. I used to spend one third of my year there. But I feel that with the fact that now we can work from anywhere, obviously that's been <laughs> accelerated by the pandemic, but I feel like innovation is being distributed, which means that if I'm hiring for my team, I'm not focused on the geo, I'm focused on what they know how to do and everything because I can send them, you know, an Oculus Quest too. Like I can have meetings with them beyond Zoom if I want to. Like if they're the right candidate and they're not in the specific geo, I know that there are restrictions. It could be specific geos that you need to hire from, but they don't have to be specifically in one area. I think that that opens up a new opportunity for more diverse hiring that is not the talent pool that has always been kind of picked from. Even myself, I mean, I've been working from home for gosh, 10 years and I've been able to kind of 
get to where I am, even being remote. So imagine now just the opportunities that are coming up. And even with my team, like I look at my team, I'm like, the last thing I look at is where they're based. Unless they're in Singapore, that that might be very complicated time-wise. But if they're within a certain hour range, I'm totally fine. But it's the last thing I look at. So I think for companies, changing a little bit of that mindset, which has already started to change, but especially if you're hiring for your metaverse team, that to me is like, you need to be able to kind of be distributed. Maybe not if you're, you know, the chief metaverse officer. Maybe that person does have to be at HQ with all the leadership because that's kind of what C-suite does. But I think that if you're recruiting your metaverse team, you need to be flexible and really eat the dog food in that sense. Great. Shifting gears, I want to talk about NFTs. And we've seen over the last few years, the market's really boomed, now worth over, well, hundreds of millions of dollars. Some people say it's a fad. Some think it's the cornerstone of the metaverse economy. Where, where are you on this debate? So I am both an investor and a collector, but I do know, I do know from an NFT perspective that a lot of the NFTs that are out there today, some of them are not going to be worth anything in the future. So just like with any market, there is going to be a market correction at some point. So I'm very realistic. I never tell anyone, go buy this or go do that. Well, I was going to ask you that. Which are the ones you're excited <laughs> about? Which are the ones that Ooh, you've got? I've been very lucky. I have to say, I've been very lucky because I got in early on some of the blue chips. So, you know, I'm a mutant ape. I'm a clone X. I'm a boss beauty. I'm a V friends. Like I'm, I'm, I'm part of a lot of different communities there. So I've been very lucky in that sense. That has to be a personal decision. Don't put money in that you're fearing of losing. You have to put fun money at this point. Well, it goes to your education piece. You, you can't really talk about yeah. it unless you've experienced it, unless you've bought your crypto, unless you've changed it and then gone out and experienced what the community's doing, mined yeah. something. And this is a really interesting point because I was mentioning this to someone. I said, look, everyone out there is selling you NFTs. Like every brand is getting pitched NFT this, NFT that. I mean, I'm working with a lot of brands on their NFT strategy as well. But for me, it has to have utility it has to have a reason for being. And this is very important. I think not everything needs to be an NFT. Very important. What does it boil down to at the end of the day? It's about digital ownership of digital assets. What does that really mean? What is the utility that something gives me if I have it in my crypto wallet? What does it give me access to? I'll give you an example. So Gary Vaynerchuk is part of this group that has the Flyfish restaurant in New York. It's an NFT membership to a restaurant. And I bought one of those memberships. The restaurant opens in 2023. I live in D.C., restaurants in New York. Why did I buy it? Like, I'm hoping the restaurant does open, but I'm willing to put that money in because I want to see what happens. And if it does open, I'm one of the lucky few that can actually make reservations there. So what is the value to me is that I can have business meetings there, that I can use this for special celebrations. So there has to be a value in what does having that NFT mean? Sometimes the value of the NFT is that it has an amazing community. So like with Boss Beauties, I'm launching a specific small role models collection with them. And that's part of that, like being part of that community in general that empowers people, that has a certain mission. So I would say NFTs, where do I sit on this? I'm enjoying them. I'm enjoying learning about them. I definitely see a lot of drawbacks as well with potential scams or issues that happen. And if you are doing an NFT, make sure it aligns with what your company stands for. Sustainability is something that comes up a lot with some of the companies I work for. So they have to choose what is the right blockchain for them, those sorts of things. So it's an interesting thing. But I mean, I'm enjoying myself in NFT world for sure. The past few years have transformed all of us. People around the world are reassessing their purpose and their priorities. 
Facebook IQ set out to understand these fundamental shifts to look beyond what's trending and understand the deeper issues. Because beneath the trends, there's culture rising, a groundbreaking report that explores what's changing in our world, like conversations about gender and identity, or the ways that people renegotiate their relationships with work and each other. See the trends shaping the future at fb.me slash 2022 trends. For the next part of the conversation, we're going to go back in time to look at some of the experiences and influences of your life. And you've been hugely successful in the tech world. Did you have any role models in business that inspired you when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, I definitely my mom, I think was one of them. She was a lawyer and a judge. Watching her work, I think inspired me a lot. And I'm hoping I inspire my kids as well. I've had a lot of mentors along the way that have kind of helped me. I would say like my current North Stars, maybe like the two women that I'm kind of looking at. I'm like, I aspire to be maybe something like they are in my own hybrid way. But I I love Amy Webb. She's a a futurist that's very well known, has written some great books. She's I've had many conversations with her. I like her a lot. I find she's brilliant. So she's maybe one of my North Stars. And I would say the other North Star is Kara Swisher. So yeah, those are the two women now that I'm like, wow, like, I want to take the best of the things that they're doing and kind of learn from them and be kind of me. Oh, I love that. And we're talking a lot here about the future. But the thing with the metaverse is we're also going to be able to go back in time and meet people from our past who are no longer with us. So is there anyone from your own life or from history that you'd like to meet? So yeah, from my own life, definitely my grandma. (laughs) She was a nurse and I don't know, just very, very close. I would definitely want to go back to see her. I think historically, someone like Mary Curie, she she was a boss lady for the boss ladies. Love all the work she did. And I don't do chemistry. That's not my thing. But I've always admired her story ever since I was little. So, so I think someone like that. And you bring up a really good point. One of the things that I'm trying to do personally with the work I'm doing on some of the projects is looking at some of the technologies for historical preservation. Because I feel like a lot of us that work in these technologies, working to create the printing press of the future. How are we going to maintain these stories for future generations, right? It used to be books and video and and audio. When we look at the future, what does it become and how do we maintain these stories? And it might be holograms. It might be 3D scans of someone's house. So I'm really looking also at how we can use these technologies for historical preservation as we move forward, because we need to find a way to maintain these stories for the future. I agree with that. One of the arguments out there is that you could say that one of the predecessors of the metaverse was Second Life, that online multimedia platform that allows people to create an avatar for themselves and live in an online virtual world. We're now going back 15 years now, and clearly the tech has moved on massively. But do you think there's anything we could actually learn from Second Life and apply to the metaverse? Yeah, I think Second Life was really early, ahead of its time, really. I mean, Philip Rosedale, who I've had the chance to to be on many panels with, is a brilliant person. And I know he's doing a lot of work again in, in Metaverse. It was really early. What can we learn from it? I mean, it thrived because it had a community. It thrived because there were people that wanted to spend time there. To me, it always goes back to identity and exploring our sense of self and how these virtual spaces allow us to have that. They even have like a thriving economy. So yeah, learning a lot of the, from the good and the bad, I would say, of those days and learning from the good and the bad in gaming as we move forward, I think is really important. And yeah, and having some of the difficult conversations today. 
You know, I'm reflecting on our conversation and you're talking a lot about the metaverse from a perspective of community. I'm just interested also, what were some of your earliest experiences of community? So I would say community has always been something important to me, but I don't think it became as important as when I started working in the VR industry. So I started in VR almost eight years ago. That's a long, pretty long time. But I would not be where I am today if it were not for the VR community and the AR community. The people that I got to know, the people that I supported, the people that supported me. I had never felt such an importance in community as I did then. And I do now. I feel also with a lot of the women in crypto, women in NFTs, even women in VR groups that I belong to, we're helping build the metaverse and we're supporting each other. We're sharing jobs. We're mentoring each other. So I say this in every talk that I do. It's like in the metaverse and in Web3, community and authenticity are kings. If you do not understand that without community, you cannot build this, you're getting it wrong. Now, in the final part of our conversation, we're going to travel even further into the future because I'd love to talk about how the metaverse is going to change our relationships with society and the physical world and building on community. Some skeptics think that the digital world's isolating us, that by logging into a platform to socialize, we're missing out on real physical connections. What would you say to that? So what I would say is there have been divides. The Web2 era has created silos and divides. I truly believe that. But I do think in Web 3.0, we have a chance to kind of own our own data and and build more community. And I think that that's where I'm really excited to see how things work out. Even like when I think of blockchain, I mean, I'm just so, so excited about blockchain as a technology. And I'm not saying that blockchain solves everything, but I am truly excited about blockchain and how we can use blockchain to make sure that I know where my information is going, who I share it with, one of the use cases someone shared with me once, and I had never thought about it. And they were like, what if you, when you were born, your birth certificate was an NFT? You don't sell it, but it's an NFT that lives with you and that travels with you. Very hard to replicate or to copy or to forge. And imagine if someone's trying to traffic children across the border. Sadly, humans are still going to do horrible things. But I think that's really amazing. I never thought about that use. So I think that there's going to be a lot of things that we haven't even thought about that are going to help in the Web3 era. When I think of the future, like, do I think it's only open and decentralized? Not necessarily. I'm working towards an open and decentralized metaverse. That's what I think is a really wonderful opportunity. But I do see, and I say this every time I speak, I said, there is going to be a huge component of open and decentralized. And I love that perspective. But there might be some centralized worlds or gardens where I might want to go for one reason or another. Is the future all open and decentralized? I don't know if it's all open and decentralized. I want a lot of it to be. But there's also, I think, going to be, in reality, some centralized places that we might want to go for some reason or another. So, yeah, I, I do think, like I mentioned before, having difficult conversations now is important. I live in D.C., and one of the things I try to do is try to spend some time also in Capitol Hill talking to lawmakers and educating lawmakers about what these technologies are, what are the potential risks and challenges, because it is going to change the world. It is going to impact all of us. Yeah, I agree. And that's something from a meta perspective that we're also taking very seriously and, you know, ensuring that we create the guardrails now with the learnings that we've had in the past as we help to build the metaverse going forwards. I want to talk a little bit about creators. 
because creator culture is something that we talk a lot about at Meta. And we've just done a huge report called Culture Rising, where we analyze 600,000 conversation topics on our platforms and topics related to creator culture. That saw a huge growth. How do you think the shift of the metaverse is going to impact creators? I think it's a really exciting time to be a creator. And it's an evolution. It's a big change. When I talk about the metaverse, I also talk about this being the future of human creativity in a level we've never seen before, with tools we've never seen before. So it's a beautiful moment also for humanity in that sense. I mean, I know think people think technology and they're skeptical and they're like, how does it relate to humanity? We're humans. We've been using technology and creativity for forever. I always talk about the case of Fawoshes, who's a young digital artist. I believe he's 19 now. Wonderful digital artist. He actually partnered with Artifact, the company that got acquired by Nike at the end of last year. And he partnered with them to launch virtual sneakers. And the sneakers sold out. I mean, there were $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 per virtual sneaker. They sold out. Millions of dollars, record-breaking. And I always go back to that. I'm like, what an amazing story. Normally, a sneaker deal like that would be reserved for someone like LeBron James or a famous athlete, not for Welsh's. But in this new era that we're in, creators are having the opportunity to get paid for their creations, their digital art matters. So yeah, there's a lot of things on paying the creator, and I think it's so important to have that front and center. But I do think it's an opportunity for creators, especially when I talk about gaming. I look at my children, and I try to give them the tools. You know, they can play games, but they can also build. So for example, my son, I allow him to do Roblox Studio so he can build his own world. Sometimes things go horribly wrong and he's got to rebuild, but he's learning resilience. He's learning world building. These world building tools are powerful and they allow us to create worlds. They allow us to learn skills, resilience, and and a lot of different creativity and expand our creativity beyond belief. So I think it's an exciting time to be a creator. And I think brands as well need to look at themselves as creators at times and also brands need to be less scared to collaborate with creators in a totally different way. Okay, so that learning piece, again, you need to be testing and learning to the brand owners out there in terms of how they interact with creators. Okay, I've got to talk to you about fashion. Fashion is one of my passions. So I'd love to hear where you think it's going in the metaverse. We've already seen fashion designers listing limited edition skins. We're about to have our first metaverse fashion week. What is the fashion industry going to look like 10 years from now? Oh, and just like you, fashion is where I feel the most comfortable. I love working with my luxury clients. It's super fun. I mean, I literally just got back from Paris. So what I would say is the fashion industry is leading the way. They are really innovating at such a fast pace. I think a lot of them are taking it very seriously and thinking through holistic strategies. And I absolutely love that. What I see, and I've been writing about this and exploring it, and a lot of the work I do is the idea of direct-to-avatar becoming a new direct-to-consumer model, where I'm selling something for the avatar. It's really exciting. And this kind of leads into how commerce is evolving. It's such an exciting time for fashion to to kind of rethink what it, what it is. How does fashion and technology and culture, like how does it all come together to create this future of fashion? And it is about outfitting our avatars, but it's also about self-expression. Like when I was a teenager, you would rebel against your parents and you would like wear a midriff or like do something fashion. Like there's some point of fashion where you use makeup or fashion or even piercings to like rebel against your parents or whoever it is that you're rebelling against. That's probably going to start to happen also in how we dress up and show up and show up in these virtual spaces. So 
I think fashion has done a great job of leading. I love a lot of things that are happening in the fashion space. I think most of the brands are really thinking through holistic strategies and there's just a huge opportunity, but definitely thinking through direct to avatar becoming a next direct to consumer model uh, for brands to think about what do they become in the metaverse? If I sell a physical product, do I have to do the same in the virtual spaces? Possibly not. I have to say, what an exciting time to be a luxury fashion brand or a fashion brand in general, when you can truly rethink who you are and evolve your brand in the metaverse. Finally, virtual real estate is another really interesting trend in this space. So we've got companies like Upland have created a virtual world where you're able to invest in landmarks and make income from your property investments. Where else do you see the future of money being made in the metaverse? Yeah. So, I mean, I am a proud landowner in several metaverse platforms. So I always joke that I'm a, a real estate tycoon <laughs> in virtual <laughs> form. This is what I will say, and I'll say this very quickly, is that people are like, why would anyone buy virtual real estate? Isn't the concept and the idea that it's infinite? And this is the analogy I give them. I said, look, you can go to GoDaddy or to Google or anywhere, and there's going to be infinite number of domains, many different domains. But there's only one Pepsi.com. There's only one Gucci.com. So it's almost the same concept. Like if there is virtual real estate and there's only a set amount of virtual real estate that the company set, there's only that, period. Yeah, in concept, it can be infinite. But just like domains are, there's only one specific domain for that specific thing that is worth a lot of money. To me, it's about owning a piece of the future of the internet. And that's really exciting. Uh, I agree. And Kathy, I could talk to you for ages. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today. And for you being so open in sharing your vision, it's been just absolutely fascinating hearing how you see the future of our lives playing out in the metaverse. I just want it to come around even quicker now. And to our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the findings from our Culture Rising report, you can download it now at fb.me slash 2022 trends or click the link in the show notes until next time the future doesn't just happen it's built facebook iq has a front row seat on the teams reimagining how marketeers connect with people and the trends gaining momentum around the world with a unique understanding of what drives over 3 billion people and 200 million businesses on facebook and instagram Facebook IQ helps leaders see around corners and inspire positive change in their business, industries, and communities. Get the insights and foresight you need at facebook.com slash IQ.